Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to our latest Outsports podcast. It is late May, Memorial Day weekend is around the corner. And Jim, do you have a decent connection right now? Uh, hello? <laughs> Can you speak up? <laughs> the, the, the connection's terrible. What the heck's going on? I don't know. The music keeps going. I sound You sound better now. All right, well, more technical difficulties for the outside podcast. <laughs> the music keeps going uh, and going. Memorial Day weekend is uh, <laughs> upon us. Jim, I'm headed to Palm Springs for the weekend. Do you have any plans? I'm helping a friend get tires on his car. How's that for excitement? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I hope you got a barbecue planned in there, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I work Friday night and Monday, so it's a, it's a shorter weekend, but... Uh... Not complaining. Right. Yeah. yeah, Jim does not get many long weekends. Um, and by the way, I'm having we're doing home renovations, and I broadcast from the house, so if you hear some pounding in the background, that's just some workers putting on a new roof, which is much needed with all the torrential storms that we have in Los Angeles. Exactly. Well, they are saying, uh, they report last week that El Nino is – Strengthen, and there's a very strong chance of a very severe El Nino equivalent to 97-98 out here, which if that's the case, it'll be a deluge this winter. But we'll see. We need well, the rain, although apparently it's not going to be cold enough maybe for it to have as much effect on the snowpack. But So you get that roof on just in time. Well, I mean, listen, any any rain that can run off into the rivers and what have you, is important, and I know I the, we take a lot of conservation. We collect probably thirty, forty gallons of water every time it rains, and just use that to water the plant. So, you know, that's it's uh, everybody has to do their part. Uh, but today, this this is it's interesting. This has been an interesting year for outsports, and, and I posted this on on our on the podcast page. You know, last year was definitely the year of the LGBT athlete. That really dominated all of our headlines and, and of course you know we're we're an lgbt sports website that's got to be a big part of it but it seems every week there's one or two stories where that that where religion play a role and particularly where where colleges and we've had several colleges now where we've unearthed either anti-lgbt policies or, or something negative has happened is this do you think, is, is this something that's just happening more often? Or are we just becoming more aware of it? I think it's a combination of both. I mean, the story you had up on I can't pronounce it, La Terrain University in Texas. Laterno. Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, they have this, and you could describe the policy, but a policy that's basically new that's anti-LGBT. So, I think as we talked about in a podcast a couple weeks ago, this is clearly a reaction to the whole same-sex marriage becoming legal in 34 states, maybe hopefully in 50 states within a month. Um, and these schools are doing these kind of things, instituting these kind of policies as, as their way to fight back because they've lost the battle. They're losing the overall cultural battle against marriage, and this is their way to 
still feel they have some impact on their on their students. But why don't you tell people about this this Division three school in Texas? Yeah, Laterno University. It's a school of a thousand students. It's a deeply religious Christian university, NCAA Division three, and Somewhere between 2012 and 2014, they decided to add the, a couple of pieces about sexual morality to their student-athlete handbook. And the student-athlete handbook now explicitly bans not just gay sex, but, but a gay student dating another gay student. I mean, even if you date, you are in violation of the athletic department's policy. And if you're whether you're gay or straight or black or white or trans or cisgender, if you simply if you publicly advocate for same sex marriage, if you go on Facebook and you post that you're okay with same sex marriage or same sex marriage should be legal, you can be kicked off of your teeth for it. And you know we it's 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 just it's just totally crazy to me that a religious institution. That, that enjoys the benefits of the First Amendment to the Constitution would then threaten the spirit of the First Amendment in threatening its student-athletes. Well, you know, I really see this, and, and I feel sorry for students that are probably in many ways forced to go there by their parents, because why anybody would go to a school like that is totally beyond me, and yet a lot of kids probably don't have any choice um, is where their parents can afford to send them or they want to or their parents have these beliefs. And so <laughs> it just is very discouraging when you see this kind of stuff in that what is their basis for wanting to expel a student because they support same-sex marriage? How do you even kind of justify that? Well, first of all, you can, you can call into the podcast. We're live right now, 3 p.m. Eastern to 3.30, 347 and, and I think there, there are and then, and also we keep forgetting our podcast is sponsored by AT and T, mobilizing your world. You know we've been doing this podcast for what ten years, and 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 we just never had a sponsor, so we just keep forgetting. Well, you have to disappoint them about eighteen more times to make up for for missing that. But I think part of it, a big part of it, is the same reason that Seton Hall fired uh, a priest last week for simply posting on Facebook something from the No Hate campaign. And and that is they a lot of these particularly private institutions make a lot of money off of donations from alumni. Those alumni tend to be 50, 60, 70 years old. They were there they were at the school at a time when I mean, gay was just, it was impossible to be gay, and it was it was the, the, the worst thing you could do. And they hold a lot of those beliefs. And, and so I think a lot of these schools, and that's what we heard from Erskine College when I talked to people there, a lot of these schools, they want to kind of have their egg and eat it, have their cake and eat it too. They want to they wanna be able to, to, to look like they're being a, a warm, welcoming college, but they also want that the, those alumni dollars. And I think that's the that's a big piece of that their alumni are essentially the most conservative right wing base out there, and they want to appease them. Well, but it, you know, in a sense, if they have their are entitled to religious beliefs, but the whole question is why the NCAA condones this, why 
the NCAA allows its member institutions to have these policies, as opposed to saying, you're free to have these policies, but then you're not free to be a member of the NCAA and get all the benefits it, it enjoys because we believe in diversity, uh, non-discrimination. So in some ways, the NCAA, to me, is the one that should be taking the task almost more than these organizations because these institutions, if they have this religious view, there's nothing you or I are going to say is going to ever change their mind. Um, and yet, if the NCAA came down and said, uh, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't kick any of our student-athletes out because they're gay. And you've been to NCAA uh, meetings and stuff. What is their rationale for not sort of putting their foot down on this issue? Well, you know, what I can say is that the NCAA, the, 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 the national office, only has so much power. It It can't. It there are certainly certain things that it can do when a when a school violates X, Y, or Z policy, but these don't the, the policies about sexual orientation simply don't fall under that. They can't take action against anybody for this. What they would need to happen is for members of the NCAA. So you have to remember that the NCAA national office, but they report to the members of the NCAA, and that includes schools and conferences and, and what have you, they would need athletic directors of schools to propose at their national convention a policy that forbids anti-gay policies at member institutions. And if and so it, uh, that's why I wrote an email to this, the AD at Stanford, and I'm going to continue uh, writing to him and trying to contact him to be the person who puts this forward because, frankly, the NCAA is an association of members. Stanford and Penn State and Harvard and Princeton and every other member is choosing to associate themselves and do business with colleges that threaten their gay athletes. And and there's no getting around it. They have, it's It's like doing business with a racist organization. And and some one of these ABs has got to decide to take a stand. That's that's really the only way the NCAA can take action. Well, then it begs the question of why has nobody taken the stand? I think one of the reasons is because nobody's asked, which is why I asked my AB at Stanford. And I think maybe what we should do at, at Outsports is kind of explain all of this and start giving people email addresses and phone numbers to call some of the members of, of the NCA, because, again, those are the people with the power. Bernard Franklin runs the Office of Diversity at the NCA. His hands are tied. He, he, there's only what, he, what they can do, and they are, they've, they've offered various resources, handbooks and manuals and what have you, but they simply cannot take action against a, a school like Laterno. They, they can't. They don't have the ability to do it. Well, and then again, we come around to where where are all the LGBT people at these NCAA institutions, and what are they doing about it? So many of them are closeted. So many of them do anything. At a certain point, these people have to stand up and be counted. There are enough of them that are out that they should be the ones raising the ruckus, raising the you know raising the roof. And silence makes them somewhat complicit. And I don't want to hear things about their jobs and stuff. If you're out on campus, this should be an issue that you really push for. Um, and we're not here. It shouldn't be just Sid Ziegler writing the Stanford. What about all the people we know at the at these member institutions who are openly gay, lesbian? Um, they ought to be speaking out on this. 
and writing their institution. They'd actually have more clout than you and I would simply because they know these people. Um, I don't know, Jim. I donated $100 to Stanford last week. So <laughs> There you go. That'll I'm put sure them over there in Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> Well, absolutely, and it's it's not just the LGBT people who are on campus. I uh, there was the story that I wrote about Letourneau. One of the comments uh, was left from a a straight basketball, the uh, <laughs> straight athlete at the school. Anyhow, uh, I didn't say which gender it was. Anyhow, this person called me after they left the the comment on. The, on the page and said, I'm so sorry, can you please take my comment down? And the comment was, you know, a little bit critical of the school. And I said, why? And they said, I'm really, really afraid that the school is going to take action against me. They'll kick me out. And I weighed, I weighed it and said, you know what? I, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a big deal, him leaving a comment, but I, I kind of, I took it down because he just, he was really upset about it and he was really scared. And I think that's, I think that less than actually trying to kick these student athletes out who are LGBT, they just they want to scare the students into silence, and that's what happened to the. We were supposed to a month ago have uh, an athlete at a very conservative Christian school in the South come out on out sports last month. At the last second, he just he he said I can't do it because of he was so scared of what the school would do, and I think really their intention isn't to kick people out, but just to generate this environment of fear. Well, and it's again, it's a shame that these kids have to go to these schools, to be honest. And I don't know if the educational benefits outweigh all the rest of it, but they kind of are they're existing in this time warp, and they're not where the rest of the culture is going, and especially young people. And the idea that somebody would post a fairly innocuous comment on a website and be so freaked out that they have to remove it tells you the problem there that, that exists. Yeah, and it's tough. I uh, you know a lot of people I've seen kind of blame the LGBT people for going to these schools. I, I just I don't go that route because when I know when I was 17 or 18, I really was struggling with my sexual orientation, and 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 I was in total denial. And it wasn't until you know at some point in college they realized it was true, and I still kept hiding it, but. A lot of these kids, they go to college and they figure out who they are, and and then they get kind of stuck there. So, and it's not so easy to transfer, particularly when you're an athlete, lose eligibility and what have you, have to sit out a year. So, I, I try, I try not to, you know, quote, not not that you're blaming the athletes, but I try not to blame the, the kids for. No, I'm act, actually not blame. Kids. I feel sorry for them because they don't have that choice. I mean kids aren't paying for college themselves. I mean, it's their parents. And so if this is where they're going, they may not be aware of it. So, yeah, I'm not at all faulting. the. If this was an adult kind of school and you chose to go to it after age 21, well, then, then that's your own damn fault. But uh, but anybody who's 17, 18, they may not be aware of their sexual orientation. They may, they may have it hidden, or their parents may have forced them to go to this school. So when mommy and daddy are paying the tuition bills, you don't really have as much of a choice. So... Uh, I just say I feel I feel sorry for people that have to go to these kinds of schools with these kind of policies because it really creates this really oppressive campus environment and the whole idea of higher education is supposed to be 
that's where you're exposed to all sorts of different worldviews and ideas and people different from you. And instead, it's almost like they're enforcing this rigid, hierarchical, you know, kind of view of, of the way the world should be. And, you know, I think it's so outdated. Yeah, well, and, and I think the outdated piece is, is what a lot of these colleges are finding. I, I know at Erskine College, the, the school in South Carolina where the Board of Trustees um, passed this anti, very anti-gay policy, the, the students rose up almost unanimously against this policy. And, and some of them you know, might not believe, believe that homosexuality is right. They might think it's a sin. But I remember the students, talking to a couple of them who were who straight, saying this was so unnecessary that the targeting of one group of people with this policy, and like I posted the story about Letourneau, there's nothing in there about students, you know, can't eat shellfish or any of the other things that it says in the Bible. It's a very clear, specific targeting of one group of people and and no matter how you, you think about homosexuality, a lot of the younger kids today, that's what they're rejecting, this, this targeting of gay people. Yeah, so, I mean, and it's interesting that these, how many these stories, there have been at least three, there's been, then we had Derek Schell with Hillsdale, so we've had, the and the one uh, unidentified school where you wrote about the kid who wanted to come out, so we've had at least four examples recently of, the, of these kinds of colleges, and it also shows this <laughs> You know, doesn't it sort of refute the whole argument that homosexuality is a choice and you chose to be gay, and yet some of the most, you know, interesting activist stuff's going on at these Christian colleges, and Derek Shell was the first openly gay Division II basketball player, and he went to the maybe the most conservative school in the country. Yeah, it doesn't matter where you are, what country you're in, what culture you're from, gay people are everywhere, and and. Some Christians and and some Muslims and just about every other religion try to just bury their head about it and and pretend that it doesn't exist or it doesn't have to exist or yeah that it, that it's a choice. I mean, this uh, Laterno University has had at least two different people come speakers come in the last couple of years who either advocate for conversion therapy or say that gay people can be changed. And I know one of them, you know, I was watching him on a video, said, you know, God God created you the way you are, and he can change you too because he has that power. And, and essentially saying if you pray enough and you, de- and you devote yourself to living a life of Christ enough, then you might not be, you might not turn ungay, but you you, you will become more holy. Your actions will turn less gay. I can't, I can't remember exactly what it was. It was quite confusing, but essentially saying you absolutely cannot be gay if you just pray hard enough. And that's these are the speakers that the school is paying to bring into the school. One of those guys wasn't that pastor that had the grinder profile, was it? <laughs> I don't think so. And, and well, that's, that's that's another great example. And. I know that this morning I talked to Warren Hall, the guy who was fired from Seton Hall. We're going to have a, a story about him next week. The, the priest who was removed by the school from Seton Hall because he posted about the No Hate campaign. And, and he talked about the atmosphere on on campus and, and what Derek Gordon is looking, might be looking toward 
that, that the students and the faculty are going to treat him exceptionally well, particularly because he's an athlete who scores points. But it, it might be the administration that just kind of keeps him at arm's length and just kind of waits out the year until he's gone again. Yeah, for those who weren't paying attention, Derek Gordon, the only openly gay Division One basketball player, uh, had one more year of eligibility and decided to pick Seton Hall uh, this year, which is in New Jersey, which is close to his home. And uh, it happened the same time the story broke about them firing this priest for uh, in basically an anti-gay move. So it's kind of ironic that, that Derek wound up there. But um, obviously it, it looks like he has a good situation. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to start or what. They have a couple of real up rising kids at Seton Hall on the basketball team. So it, it is a good situation. It's in the Big East. He wants to play professional basketball somewhere, so it'll be he'll certainly get plenty of exposure there. But it's interesting, Derek Gordon, you know, yeah, what was it, seven weeks ago he said he's going to be transferring. It took him seven weeks to find a home. And it, it's interesting, I, you know, he talked about it being homophobia, that he should have he should have landed on a team much faster than this, and that homophobia was definitely at play w- with some of the teams. And it's it, it's uh, it, it's tough to, to know how big of a role homophobia played and where he ended up, particularly given that he ended up at a, at a Catholic university. you got to wonder, if, if Seton Hall welcomed him in, who the heck was to the right of Seton Hall? Well, there was actually a good, very good column by a guy in Massachusetts, I don't know if it was the Globe or something, that really likes Derek and, and kind of took him the task for saying that without any examples or proof and basically said, you know, a lot of guys go through this and, you know, maybe Derek was cho- not chosen because he didn't fit their, their particular style of play or something. And uh, I'll try to find the column maybe linked to it. It was, it was a very well thoughtful piece by someone who liked Derek a lot and just thought him saying that without offering specifics was sort of not the way to go about this because it seemed to imply that, you know, him not getting a, a different school was, was because of homophobia. And, you know, like you said, if Seton Hall would do it, kind of wonder, okay, Letourneau's not going to take Derek, and Derek wouldn't go to Letourneau anyway. But, um, yeah, the bottom line is, though, he did land on his feet, so he will have a place to play this uh, this fall. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah, one of the interesting things is that when, when Derek said he's leaving UMass, he wanted to go, UMass played in the Atlantic 10, he wanted to play one of the big leagues. He wanted to play in the Big East, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, the SEC, ACC. He wanted to be in the big leagues. And so that eliminated probably two-thirds of the Division One schools mm-hmm. that were in conferences the same size, the A-10 or smaller. And, and some of those, I mean, I have to believe that some of those schools would have killed to have Derek yeah. Gordon come play for a year. So it, it, it's, it is more complicated with Derek than just – I mean, it's funny, with all of these gay athletes, it, there's been something that you can't, and something that complicates it. Jason Collins was at the very end of his career when he came out. Uh, Michael Sam, uh, you know, was, was never going to be a, a, a first-round draft pick, or probably wasn't going to be a first-round draft pick, and he was labeled a tweener because of his skills. Um, you know, so it's like, it's, it's, and then Derek Gordon has these things that kind of, the qualifications, he wanted to be here or there, is never so easy that you can just say, I mean, with Michael Sam, I think it is, but there are always other factors that play into why an athlete does or does not get signed to a team quickly. 
Yeah, and I think until we get that bona fide star doing it, if the bona fide star, especially a college star in draft, who is then draft stock drops, then that really is the more telling thing. But that's always been the, frust- the frustrating thing. And I think it's the thing that does cause people who are considering coming out a little bit of caution. Because with Michael, it's like, well, it could be homophobia, but maybe not. But why take the chance? And I think if you're making that calculation, it's why take the chance. It makes you think, is this really the best time to be doing this? And so, again, with Derek, like you said, he wanted spe- he had he had specific needs that he had to have filled. So you may have had some schools that would have loved to have had him, but Derek didn't want to play because the school was in a small conference. Yeah, and that's understandable. I mean, he uh, there there are people who say to Seton Hall. I read this that he's just the perfect fit for them. His style of play is perfect for the team, and. And this is a great signing for the team. The team hasn't been to NCAA tournament in years. So it'll be interesting to see if he's able to help turn that around. Uh, well, and I, and one more thing before I'm just totally changing the subject, but uh, we kind of wonder often who listens to our podcast just because you're, you're, yeah. you're kind of speaking. And um, we got an email from someone that I think when you were gone, and I followed up. Anyway, I've been talking to the guy, and his he's a college co- or a high school coach. And he's coming out, and he's coming out because one of our podcasts, believe it or not. He heard us talking really? in February while he was stranded in an airport waiting for a snowstorm to pass about the responsibility of athletes and coaches to come out. And it finally is the thing that kind of tipped him over the edge. So he may have been our only listener that he may have been only listener that week, but it made a big difference. So, well, we never only one listener. It's funny, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I hear people like Billy Bean always says, you know, it's not my job to pressure people to come out of the closet, and I totally get that. Wade Davis is the same thing. I want to pressure people to come out of the closet. I want them to come out. It because, and I know you do too, because it's, it is the only way to truly change the culture and change people's minds. It's the only way to do it. And, and people can be very comfortable in their private lives and they're not out publicly, but every single story that we post affects some every single time we get we post a story, we get another email or two or three or four more of people saying, thank you so much, this is so important, it hit home. And that person we write about often gets tens, hundreds, or literally thousands of emails. Don Maldonado, the basketball player from Kentucky, got thousands of email messages. And, and because of how many people he affected. So it's it, funny. It, he it wrote really us a, what, a four-paragraph email. Just boom. Story. <laughs> it's like that's all it takes. It can take one sentence. And in the case of the gay I, – I keep mentioning the gay baseball player, Dale Scott. He's affected people, but he was out forever, but not out publicly. But as soon as he comes out publicly, all of a sudden there is an identifiably openly gay umpire, which then inspires other people who want to be umpires or officials to say, oh, my God – my sexual orientation, at least in Major League Baseball, won't deter me from the job. And that's the key difference of coming out publicly. So, yeah, I'm the same way with you. I'm never going to out anybody, but I'm going to encourage them to do it because more and more people need to do it. There's too much of a culture of silence, and especially among retired athletes. I don't understand. I'm not buying any retired athletes staying closeted. Simply don't buy it for a second. Um, so even if you do it after you retire, that still has an impact on people, and it's it's been proven. So... Um, I'll get off my high horse now, but it really kind of bothers me when we kind of been way over backwards to sort of accommodate people who can make a difference and decide not to. 
it's funny to hear the emotion in your voice, and I speak emotionally about this stuff too because I'm I'm angry about it. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I we will continue to not out people, but gosh, it's tempting because it it really is infuriating that people continue to make life choices for themselves where they could make such a such a massive impact on the lives of other people and. You and I, I mean, we've never made a fortune off of outsports. We've chosen to do this because of the impact that we know we can have. And the fact that so many of these guys who have made millions still make a different choice, just it makes me crazy. Yep. And you know, Robbie Rogers' birthday last week, Michael Martin, this gay soccer player, tweeted out that, you know, maybe he's alive because of Robbie, you know, like thinking about suicide, that kind of stuff. And that's really powerful. And so Robbie coming out has had a huge cascading effect. And here was a guy who was terrified and alone in the closet, what, two and a half years ago. So it's never too late. Well, next up on the target list is going to be the NCAA for us. We, we, want, we want to see these schools, somebody step up and make a proposal that the NCAA not allow schools with anti-gay policies. So stay tuned for that. Um, but that's all we have time for today. Today's episode is brought to you by AT&T, Mobilizing Your World. Jim, I, yeah. I remembered. I don't know. <laughs> I think that might be the first time Jim's awfully better at it than I am. Uh, but anyhow, have a great Memorial Day. Good luck changing the tires, Jim. And we'll talk to you next week.